you matter. What's happening in your life matters. People need to know that you're real and that you really know that they're real and that they really matter. And cultures that do that, like Chick-fil-A, like the Zappos, Netflix, people really care and they want to work there. And if they don't think that you matter, then they don't want to work there and they won't be there. Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to The Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. Today, I had the pleasure of welcoming Mark Miller, a Wall Street Journal and international best-selling author, communicator, and the former VP of high-performance leadership at Chick-fil-A, a place we all know and well probably too well to some of my audience. During his tenure with Chick-fil-A, the company grew from, get this, 75 restaurants to over 2,700 locations. So I think Mark knows a thing or two about sales and building a workforce. What do you say? To uh, sales exceeding $19 billion. Today, Mark serves as the co-founder of Lead Every Day, an extension of his life-inspired mission to encourage and equip leaders with the tools they need to be successful. Mark began writing almost 20 years ago when he teamed up with Ken Blanchard with a, for a book we know well called The One Minute Manager. Ken Blanchard is the author to write The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do. With over 1 million books in print and more than 25 languages, his global impact continues to grow. In addition to writing, Mark enjoys teaching and strategizing with leaders to equip them with the secrets of not only what to do, but how to do it. Over the years, he's traveled to dozens of countries, collaborating with numerous international organizations. So without further ado, Mark, welcome to the show. Well, Fran, thank you for the opportunity. It's so nice to have you here. It sounds like your work has covered the gamut in terms of workplace, culture, what's happening in terms of growth of organizations. So let's just kind of unpack that a little bit for our listeners, since you've had such an extraordinary background, particularly in business. You know, as you're looking at the landscape of what's happening in the workplace culture today, you know, what are what's you know keeps you up at night, we can say, in terms of what's happening today? Well, I sleep pretty good at night, but I have dedicated uh, my life to serving leaders. Uh, I believe that leaders have the power to change their world. And what concerns me is that many leaders are ill-equipped, ill-prepared to fulfill that role. I mean, I believe that leaders are the indispensable lever for a better world. And far too many leaders have, have been unwilling or unable to step up. And I'm trying to do what I can to, to serve them. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I totally agree with you. I think we saw a lot of that during covid right, where our leaders were pulled in lots of different directions. They were asked mm -hmm. to, you know, continue the status quo. Then they were asked to become mental health experts. Then they were asked to become, you know, fantastic leadership coaches. They were asked to do all these different things that they were ill-equipped to do 
while mm-hmm. at the same time keeping their own mental prowess underway. So, yeah. you know, when you think about that, not having the the equipment, if you will, or the tools or the resources, what do you think is is really missing for many of our leaders today? What, you know, what are some of those tools? Well, before I get to the tools, I would think we, we've got a couple of problems. We've got those that aren't prepared and, and we need training, education, development, practical tools and resources. We need all that. Yeah. I have a, a growing concern for the men and women that know how to lead, but are struggling with effectiveness. Mm-hmm. In fact, my team did uh, a research project several years ago trying to improve leadership effectiveness. Now, here's here's the spin I put on that. Uh, Some of your listeners are baseball fans, and even those that aren't probably know the game. And you and you you could probably imagine a pitcher in the major leagues that's having trouble hitting the strike zone. I would argue that pitcher doesn't need to learn how to pitch. They've already got the contract. They're already in the big leagues, but they've got to make some adjustments to throw more strikes. I think there are so many leaders in the world today who know how to lead, but they're not hitting the strike zone. So our team went to work on that saying, okay, what can we do to serve those leaders? Again, I'm I'm afraid it's a very, very large group. And what we discovered is there, there's this toxic mix and it varies from leader to leader and season to season, but, but we called it quicksand. And it's made up of things like busyness and distractions and fear and fatigue and resource scarcity. I mean, you make your own list, but a leader who's in quicksand is not leading to their full potential. And it's exhausting. And I would argue that this great resignation that we heard so much about, and I do believe that there were many contributing factors to that. But what I've not heard discussed enough is I think a lot of people threw in the towel because they were exhausted. And they were exhausted because they were trying to lead from the quicksand. And so we've been trying to figure out one of the projects I referenced that we've been working on is how to help leaders get out of the quicksand. Because it's one thing to teach leaders, and I'm all about teaching new and emerging leaders the skills they need, but we have a tremendous opportunity to help leaders get out of the quicksand. So that's another group that I'm concerned about. That totally resonates with me. I mean, you know, our work here at Aerobodies is really about well-being and resilience. And Mm -hmm well-being and resilience for the leader. And I think that what showed up during the pandemic was that so many people really weren't taking care of themselves, obviously, right? right? And so we had a health safety issue. And from that derived, okay, well, how do I even do that? What does Mm self-care look like? And, you know, the Mm self-care buzz went around. And sadly, I think as we're starting to creep back into some level of normalcy or getting back to, or not even getting back, but you know, starting to look at what the future of work is going to be, that the elements of what you did in terms of resilience to start to take care of yourself and be aware of that are starting to shrink away. So I love the analogy you're using of the quicksand, because I think you're absolutely right. They're paddling, they're paddling, they're paddling, but at the same time, they're not really taking a look at, you know, what do I need to be to be resilient, to bring my best self, to be sustainable in this role and grow in this role. And then even more than that, how do they empower other people? You know, if you're not right. exemplifying that, how do you do that? So what are some of the things that, you know, as you start to talk to leaders and you start to unpack that in this quicksand analogy, what are some of the things that you're sharing? I'll answer that, but let me let me echo something you just said and, and reinforce something you just said. If you're in quicksand, paddling, flailing, 
that's the worst thing you can do. It's not a, that's not a plan. Flailing is not a plan, but you mentioned it. You can't help others out if you're in it. So if you're in it, there's a real good chance that others are in it. And I know in a minute, we're going to talk about culture. I think quicksand is the number one reason more leaders aren't working on culture. Mm. You don't work on culture when you're in quicksand, you work on survival. Yeah. Right. So uh, to get out of quicksand, we, we believe that ultimately it's your choices that determine whether or not you escape the quicksand or not. It's not your skill set. It's not your IQ. It's not where you were born. It's not where you went to school. It's the choices that you make. And we wrote about this in a book called Smart Leadership. I'll just give you a couple of them. The, the first choice um, that, that leaders who want to escape must make is they must choose to confront reality. Mm. You got to own it. You got to name it. You got to claim it and you got to say, we're going to fix it. We're going to address it. And not just reality about your quicksand, reality about your leadership, about your health, about your relationships, about your team, about your strategy. If you're not grounded in truth, you can never lead from a position of strength. Why do you think that's so hard? Yeah, I mean, we, we've asked leaders why it's hard. And by the way, when we ask leaders, we never ask them to talk about themselves. We say, think about leaders you know who are unwilling to confront reality. So they can have a safe space. Tell us why you think it's hard for them. And they'll say pride and fear and insecurity and character issues. And I mean, on on and on and on. You can make a long, long list. Um, But that's the first choice that we would say leaders have to make. Not just, again, a broad brush. You, You need to be as grounded in truth and reality as possible. If, if you're going to lead well, and you might know this, uh, the higher you go in an organization, the harder it is to be grounded in truth for mm-hmm. any number of reasons, Absolutely. which is why the very best leaders, even your your C-suite leaders, they work diligently to stay grounded so that they can know what's actually happening in their organization. We've done several global surveys over the last five years uh, where we interview leaders and frontline associates. And globally, there is typically a 40 point gap between what the the, the leaders think and what the frontline people think. Hmm. Now, that means somebody's not grounded in reality. And my yeah. bet is on leaders because hmm. people doing the work, they know reality. They're living reality. <laughs> and the leaders there's aren't. A, there's a book that's coming to mind that hmm. I read years ago. It's called Crucial Conversations. And in that hmm. book, of Crucial Conversations, it talks a lot about authentic leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And it narrowed that down to something which we all know and everybody says they have, or at least they think they understand, but don't practice, which is emotional intelligence. And I would mm-hmm. put out there and argue that I think the one of the main reasons why people don't recognize that they don't have it and that they're in this quicksand, as you mentioned, and that they're not being honest and real with themselves is because they're not even, they don't even know themselves, right? Like if you're right. not even <clears throat> aware of self, then how in the world could you even realize that you're in this quicksand? There's there's a non-acknowledgement of who you really are and so how you really show up. Mm-hmm. So how could you even expect a leader to be able to lead others and empower others if they're not even aware of themselves? When you really take time to step back and meditate on what's happening in your world, what's happening in your life, if you do that as a regular practice, then it, it is very true. You have a chance to reset, uh, assess. You have a chance to really reflect. And you make choices differently. 
But so often, mm-hmm. if you're so caught up in the doing, you never get a chance to do that. So let's right. go to something you just mentioned, because I think that it's it's alarming what's happening in cultures today. I just, um, this week I was on a panel that we talked a lot about, you know, the whole remote remote workforce, return to work, what's happening with government as well as commercial, and how that's trying to shift gears in terms of bringing people back. And a lot of what we talked about, I don't know if you've seen, there's a, two new studies that came out this summer, which were really compelling. One from MIT, one from UCLA. Um, I mean, MIT, UCLA together, and then there was another one from Stanford that brought out some compelling numbers about people and how productive they are at home versus work. And basically, both studies show that people are much more productive when they come back to work. But we have a lot of pushback around that, right? We have a lot mm-hmm. of pushback around that. And I would argue a lot of it has to do with culture. If you weren't super happy with your workplace culture before the pandemic, you're certainly not super excited about it now because there's safety, there's health issues, there's just so much that's looming for the uh, worker today. So how do we bring in this conversation around culture to make people feel not only supported, but also leadership that they're bringing together a culture where people really want to be and they feel like they're celebrated and they're really amplifying um, and being productive and creative and all those great you know words that we throw out all the time. How do we create these cultures that really serve people? Okay, so I'm gonna I want to keep my eye on the clock. I'm gonna try to give you a a multi million dollar multi year answer as succinctly as possible because that's exactly the question that my team tackled when what and it ultimately became the book Culture Rules. We started with a global study. We ended up talking to six talking to focus group or interview uh, or uh, survey over six thousand people in ten countries. So it's legit, right? This is like, we wanted to say, what is universally true about organizational culture? I'll share two quick stats, and I think I can answer your question. 72% of U.S. leaders, slightly fewer globally, said that culture is the most powerful tool at their disposal to drive performance. Nothing scored higher. Now, that was interesting, but not particularly helpful. I mean, we would have guessed, I would have guessed it would have been a high number. I couldn't have put a number on it. Seven out of 10 leaders get it. Culture is the number one driver of performance. Great. The insight or or maybe the challenge came with this next stat. We asked those same leaders to rank their priorities and building and maintaining culture came in at number 12. <laughs> no now, surprise. I don't know about you, I'm not working on my 12th priority. <laughs> on a good day, I'm working on a few of the top priorities, right? I mean, I'm battling the quicksand like everybody else. And if yeah. I get out, I'm trying to stay out. So here's here's the problem with what you just said. I don't actually believe it's nearly as hard as people want to believe culture craft is. It's really hard if you're not working on it. Pick anything, learning foreign language, changing the oil in your car. Well, how hard is it really? Well, I mean, varying degrees of difficulty, but it's really hard if you're not working on it, right? I bought Rosetta Stone and I haven't unboxed it. I'm not learning a language because I'm not working on it. Leaders aren't working on culture and leaders animate culture or not. And, And here's the thing that most people would get intuitively. Every organization has a culture. It's either by design or default. Well, the ones by default aren't healthy and they're not places that people want to go to work and they'd rather stay home, right? 
So the way you solve this, first and foremost, is to get leaders to work on culture. And that's actually what we wrote about in the book, is there are some very simple, pragmatic things that leaders can do to create a culture. And and if they don't work on it, they're going to get what they've got, and nobody wants to go back to that. I love that. I really love that. So are there one or two tips that you can share with our listeners? We've got corporate leaders on here. We have leaders of various industries. We have small biz as well as large biz that okay. listen to our podcast. So are there one or two tips from culture rules you can share? I'm, I'm going to give you three really fast. And they are the three rules. One, aspire. You have to share your hopes and dreams for your organization's culture. And you think, well, is that, I mean, really? Is that all you got? Here's what we had to include that as the first rule because far too many leaders cannot articulate in a clear, simple, repeatable fashion. Here are the hopes and dreams for our culture. And they'd say, it's in my head, it's in my heart. And we'd say, yeah, but it can't stay there because the whole building culture phenomena is about enrolling and enlisting others to join you to make the aspiration a reality. If you can't tell them what you want to build, the chances of them helping you are pretty much zero. Aspire. Now, before you go on to your other two, I think you just brought out a brilliant point. And if you're having a hard time putting your head around what Mark just said, think about Chick-fil-A. It's all about culture. Really, everybody who works there, I mean, you're going to get the same experience at Chick-fil-A in Tallahassee as you're going to get in New York City. If there is one in New York City, I don't know if there, there is. is. There in is. Virginia, right? So you're going to get the same experience because the culture speaks to how they do business, which makes complete sense. So that's that's bravo, Mark. What's All right, well, we've been, we're working on it. We'll continue to work on it. All right. So aspire. The second rule is amplify. You have to constantly be looking for ways to reinforce the aspiration. This is when people say, oh, she's serious. Oh, he means this. Oh, this isn't going away. Oh, I think I better get on board, right? And so there are any number of strategies and tactics, scores of them, infinite number of tactics that leaders can use to amplify the aspiration, to reinforce the aspiration. Just a couple of quick, very tactical ones. One is role modeling. And I always talk about that one first. People always watch the leader. What are they learning about your cultural aspiration by watching you? Another is storytelling. Are you making heroes of the people who are working to make the aspiration a reality? When you make heroes out of them and you tell their stories, you will get more of that behavior. Aspire, amplify, and a cautionary note, if you have a clear aspiration and amplify it well, your culture will begin to shift and it will begin to move toward the aspiration. Congratulations. The reason there's a cautionary note here is if you stop, you're in trouble. If you think you're done, you're done. I think cultures are like websites. They're never done. You got to stay on it. Uh, I had a leader recently that asked me when they could stop working on culture. And I said, well, okay, when are you going to stop caring about performance? Well, it was never. I said, great, because this is the number one driver of performance. So I guess you should think about this forever. The day you don't care about performance, you can quit caring about culture. But you can't declare victory because you've made progress. And if you try to shrink wrap it, Uh, To protect it, you'll suffocate it and you'll kill the culture. So the third rule is to adapt, to constantly be looking for ways to enhance your culture. And again, there are any number of strategies and tactics, but 
aspire, amplify, and adapt. Those are things that leaders can do and things leaders must do if they want that aspiration to become a reality. That's fantastic. So the three A's, everybody, make sure you remember the three A's, cultural rules. That's fantastic. So as we're kind of closing this up, this has been a a fascinating conversation. I love talking about culture, as you know, I love it. I think it's, it's so important. And I think it's so needed now more than ever with all the changing dynamics that we see in the workplace and the built environment and what's happening with workers and how they're really giving voice to what they really want. In the last few minutes that we have together, is there one or two nuggets that you want to leave with our listeners about, you know, when you, I, it's it's interesting, I often use this analogy, you know, when you go away to a retreat or you go to a conference or you go to a learning, it's so fantastic. And you're in the moment. And, oh my gosh, this is just fabulous. And I can do all these things that, you know, the world is your oyster. And then you get back Monday morning and it's like <laughs> reality hits, right? So are there one or two things that you would say absolutely 100% do this, start to think about this, start to do this, and you will start to shift how you move, how you think about, how you do things differently in your organization? I think you have to decide if you really believe that culture is the most powerful tool at your disposal to drive performance. And and you may not. I I don't know what you would say, but 72% of U.S. leaders unprompted, unaided, like here, this is their answer and nothing scored higher. So if you believe that, then I would encourage leaders to be intentional. Um, now, a lot of people think that when I, when I advocate this, I'm I'm talking about adding things to their calendar. Well, perhaps, but I wouldn't start there. I would think about culture building as you go. When we interviewed the senior leader at Netflix, uh, He said that he and every leader at Netflix, they talk about the culture every day. He said, why wouldn't they? It's the most important thing to drive performance. Or the leader who said he thought that idea was lame. He said he talks about culture in every meeting. Hmm. He said, I said, how does that work? He said, well, this is a CEO, by the way, of an organization serving 100 countries. So big deal. He said, at the end of the meeting, if people haven't linked what we're talking about to our aspiration, I'll connect the dots. And then he said, oh, by the way, if I can't connect the dots, I asked them, why were we talking about this? Okay. As you go, maybe it's not in every meeting, maybe it's not every day, but as you go, I interviewed one CEO for this project and they had just refreshed their their vision and values and mission. And I mean, it was really good. They'd done hard work. It was compelling. When he shared it with me, I wanted to go to work for this guy. It was like fantastic. And he said, I need to excuse myself just a couple minutes early. He said, because I'm going to go speak to new employees. He said, I always join them in orientation. And I'm thinking, fantastic. And I said, oh, I'm assuming you're going to share with them what you just shared with me. And he said, the thought never crossed my mind. I wanted to whack him upside his head. I said, what are you, what, I mean, what, what? So don't think about all the things you might have to add to your calendar. Think yeah. about how you can be the champion of the culture as you go. Absolutely. Because people always watch the leader. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, Mark. I love that. And it matters so much. I was at an event earlier today and started speaking to someone who's in a totally unrelated industry. And we just started talking about, you know, again, this dynamic of what's happening today. And she goes, you know what? I like to ask people when I'm on the Zoom before we start a meeting, 
I ask him, what burner on the stove is the most important to you? And at first I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, what, what, what burner on the stove is most important to you? And I said, and I didn't answer the question. She goes, she asked me one more time. She goes, and I said, do you ask that really? You really ask that question in the meeting? She goes, yes, because I want people to know at our organization, you matter. What's happening in your life matters. And she, you know, she went through a series of questions she asked like that. And I thought, I'm, and after our, our, you know, quick meeting and conversation, I said, you know what? That is so important. It's so valuable because to her employees, she's real. And getting back to everything you said out of all of this, when it comes to culture and brand and amplifying, like you said, adapting, really seeing what's important, people need to know that you're real and that you really know that they're real and that they really matter. And cultures that do that, like Chick-fil-A, like the Zappos, like you just mentioned Netflix, people really care and they want to work there. And if they don't think that you matter, then they don't want to work there and they won't be there. So I've really enjoyed this discussion, Mark. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the Optimized Workplace. And for those of you who tuned in, you can get Mark's book, Cultural Rules, as he mentioned. It sounds like it has some fantastic tips. And always remember, it's many, that small, monumental moments that make the biggest difference in your life. I'm Fran Dean Bishop. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you again for Mark for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.